Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on March 19th, 2021 from my home studio here in Columbia. And if you think this sounds familiar, well, the rest of the pod will not. That's because this is our one-year retrospective on the COVID-19 pandemic hitting South Carolina. It's also our 122nd COVID episode, but who's counting? (laughs) AT? (laughs) Us? a long one been a long one 122 episodes so we wanted to do a special pod and if you're a this week in south carolina fan well this may sound a bit familiar to you that's because it's the same the same piece i put together for the show but i'm only one person so uh, i can only do so much especially when we look back on the longest year ever but that being said here is the show we're a year into this pandemic and have seen the light at the end of the tunnel thanks to increased understanding of this virus, better therapeutics, and of course the life-saving vaccines that came online in mid-December and late February. Right now, more than 74 million Americans, including nearly 1 million South Carolinians, have so far participated in the biggest and fastest vaccine rollout in history. Before we look back, we look forward toward this brighter future as millions of Americans get safely vaccinated against this scourge, and we fight to return to life like we remembered it before this invisible enemy invaded our shores. Every day, we get closer in defeating this virus by getting vaccinated at grocery stores, pharmacies, in remote areas and dense urban centers, and even at Darlington Raceway, where on one crisp March morning, race cars were replaced with cars and trucks full of folks winding through the infield to get their shots days after Governor Henry McMaster and DHEC opened a vaccine phase 1B to more South Carolinians. Emily Adams, Vice President of Patient Services at McLeod Regional Medical Center, explain the significance of the day. We, we do feel like this is a historical moment. We have been very passionate and um, getting vaccines out. We haven't done a drive-through. We identified that mobility might be an issue for some people and wanted to offer that. And this venue allows us that so people don't have to get out of their cars completely drive-through. It's a fun thing to come through the tunnel and get your vaccine here right off of pit road, right off of the finish line where we're standing now. So. We want it to be a positive experience. We definitely think getting the vaccines, it is absolutely a positive thing for our community, and we're celebrating that today. Will McLeod, administrator at McLeod Regional Medical Center, said the event to give 5,000 people their first Moderna vaccine dose was a bright spot after a hard winter for the hospital. I think the demand now is there. You saw the excitement. We filled up within uh, 24 hours after making the announcement that we could have 1B. So um, we're excited about that. Uh, and they understand the importance of this, that we're, we're changing lives. We're actually saving lives today. There will be lives saved from this event today. I mentioned this morning that we're almost a year. I think we received our first patient on March the 16th of last year. So it's been almost 365 days and it's been it's been ups and downs. We had several peaks in the hundreds. The, the highest peak that we had was in the 160s here at the beginning of the year. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's put a toil on the medical staff, uh, on the clinical staff uh, and their dedication to all of our patients, but particularly this COVID patient Uh, has been amazing. It's something to be proud of. Um, We're excited about the vaccine. You know, it's just one of the tools that'll help us hopefully get back to some normalcy. Um, But to be able to come out here today and do a mass vaccination, get 5,000 community members vaccinated will only help us um, in hopefully getting rid of these masks and getting back to, to normal life. Normal life forever changed early last March, shortly after the COVID-19 pandemic reached our state. The governor declared a state of emergency, and we've remained in one ever since. 
There were difficult days, sacrifices made, and nearly 9,000 South Carolinians lost. State epidemiologist Dr. Linda Bell never thought we'd be here. I, I never expected that we would see this many deaths from a single illness in such a short period of time. We're just a year, uh, when we look at where we were a, a year ago, I never would have dreamed we would be looking at what we're looking at now. Those early days in March for, um, for us in public health, we, we monitored disease transmission internationally all the time, looking for these sporadic outbreaks. So we had been watching uh, this, the emergence of this novel virus in China since December. And we were monitoring the, you know, the travelers. And so we, we knew that ultimately when things began to spread, that ultimately it would occur here in the United States and that it would occur in South Carolina. We did not anticipate that the first cases would be in Camden, South Carolina. We, we thought that it would be introduced from you know, some uh, international traveler who had come to one of our major airports or something like that. So for the first cases to have occurred, well, the very first cases that occurred in South Carolina actually were related to international travel, not unexpected. But the first cases of community transmission in South Carolina, where we couldn't identify any international travel we didn't anticipate that that would be in a small community of Camden. Uh, and then we also didn't anticipate the impact that it would have on that small community. So they subsequently had a large number of hospitalizations, a large number of deaths in that small community. So that was unexpected. But it, it, told, a, um, it told us a story about what we needed to be vigilant about, that it could spring up anywhere, affect anybody, and spread in any way. And it started to. By March 17th, the spread had become clear. Governor Henry McMaster took drastic action to limit the spread of the novel respiratory virus, and while many were out enjoying St. Patrick's Day festivities in places like Sullivan's Island and Five Points in Columbia, by the next morning, things had changed as the governor's orders to close bars and in-person dining took effect. We know a lot of these things are going to cause problems for businesses, but the, the enemy we face, this enemy of this virus, is bigger than any sort of irritation or inconvenience that any of us could have. So we are asking people to stick together and understand that we're in a crisis and we need to take these measures. Restaurants became takeout and delivery only operations. As dining rooms closed, some waffle houses went dark. Grocery store shelves were barren. Some stores rationed certain goods. Toilet paper became non-existent, all while the economy lurched wildly as the unknown virus blitzed Main Street and Wall Street. That early turmoil is captured here in these clips from CNBC and Bloomberg broadcasts last March. Obviously brutal. I mean, the markets rushed toward a place to say we have to start handicapping the probabilities of, uh, of a recession in this country. The equities down and down hard. Thursday was the biggest drop since 87. Friday, the biggest pop since 08. And guess what? We're back down with futures limit down going into the cash open. By the time the Dow Jones Industrial Average bottomed out on March 23rd, it had shed 11,000 points before rallying on news of massive federal stimulus programs. Major manufacturers like Boeing and BMW mothballed production lines. The Federal Paycheck Protection Program helped some businesses hold on to employees, while others laid off thousands, fueling record unemployment numbers and overwhelming the state's system. Some retail shops were deemed non-essential and closed in April, along with attractions. Unemployment skyrocketed. Worst year, in, in, at least in my lifetime, for uh, tourism ever. Dwayne Parrish, Director of South Carolina Parks, Recreation and Tourism. You know, we had the shutdown in mid-March. Uh, we, 
about six to eight weeks, things started to slowly reopen. We picked up some steam uh, as we moved through Memorial Day. Cases rose again around July 4th, sort of had to almost a pullback, uh, you know, one step forward, two steps back sort of thing. And that's kind of been the pace through the rest of the year. Um, came up a little bit in the fall. And then, of course, late as the winter started, cases rose again. Normally, in uh, we're about a $24 billion industry. We lost somewhere between 6 and $7 billion last year. Don't have the final numbers yet. Um, like I said, there were some successes like golf. Um, short-term rentals did fairly well during this time. They offered more square footage, a kitchen, more privacy than hotels did. Hotels lost about uh, 29, 28, uh, maybe 35% of revenue, somewhere in that range. Don't have the final numbers yet again, but somewhere in that range. So restaurants, tough time, probably the hardest hit in our industry. And then the attractions, of course, a lot of things have been closed and there are still some things that are closed. The restrictions eventually became too much for some and protests occurred at the state house in early April like they did in other parts of the country. The governor reopened retail stores in late April, but attractions were still closed and other restrictions remained. Everyone is essential, whether you think it's essential or not. Everyone needs to work. Everyone needs to do the things that are important to them. We got kicked off the playground, but we're not getting kicked out of the liquor stores. It doesn't make any sense. We're still in a serious situation, but also South Carolina's business is business. And to the extent that we can, we must let those businesses operate because people want to work, they need to work, the families need to work, they need the jobs, and we're going to do all that we can do to see that they can do that and continue with their lives as much as possible under these very serious situations. Soon, restrictions began easing, replaced by guidelines to follow, such as social distancing and masking, even as we experienced our summer surge that strained the front lines. The governor and business leaders formed Accelerate SC, to craft recovery strategies and how to allocate the flow of billions of dollars in federal aid to the state. There will be change. Um, uh, when the governor and I were together the other day, we both knew that we we're looking at a new normal. We don't know exactly what it is, and that's what this group has got to help us figure out. Well, we did also have to recognize the, ec the economic impact of COVID. And that's when I talk about there were, there were ways to more safely reopen. I mean, there were, there were certainly... Um, activities that were not essential, where reopening occurred and, and those, the, the recommended prevention behaviors were not in place. So I saw an opportunity, you could do both. It wasn't a one or the other. You could reopen and you could have the, the limited capacity and you could have the masks, but to have done the reopening without the masks, without the mask ordinances, without the requirements for certain, um, um, physical distancing without the limitation on gatherings where masks would be required. I think that was um, that was perhaps the missed opportunity. So it wasn't that the reopenings themselves, it, 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 there, I mean, there was certain timing about that, but there were ways to have done reopenings more safely. Joey Von Nessen, a research economist at the USC Darlamore School of Business, gave an overview of where our economy stands in 2021. Economy is continuing to recover, both at the U.S. and the South Carolina levels. So when we look locally here, we're continuing to progress. The unemployment rate now at 4.6% in South Carolina. And it's that slow and steady recovery that we've been seeing all throughout the fall and, and into the winter. But the recovery has also been very dichotomous, meaning that if you look at all sectors in South Carolina, except for leisure and hospitality, basically the service sector, 
we're doing very well and we're almost fully recovered. Employment levels now are within a percentage point of where they were this time last year. But if we look at leisure and hospitality, if we look at that, that service sector, it's still down about 17%. And in 2021, we're not going to see full recovery of leisure and hospitality until we get the vaccine distributed. And so that's really what we're looking towards as we as we move ahead. Recovery in South Carolina at this point really means recovery of leisure and hospitality because most other sectors have uh, have have recovered and are doing well. While the business world was jolted, the hunt for gloves, masks and gowns, as well as testing supplies was ongoing. Our limited allocation from the strategic national stockpile started being delivered in mid-March, while officials looked high and low across the world to supplement dwindling supplies. When asked if we were prepared, Dr. Bell said this. No, we, we didn't know what to expect. We had many things in place to flip certain switches, to activate, to respond, to prevent it from being worse than it was but we weren't fully prepared at, at a number of levels. I mean, at, um, there, there had been plans in place in the past that were no longer in play that could have act, been activated as quickly as possible. From your very first question about epidemiology, how do diseases spread? Who do they affect? What's the timing? From that perspective, knowing what to expect, I think we were prepared for, for what to, um, what to put in place to limit spread. But in terms of having everything that was needed to do that, manufacturing, were enough masks even available when we recognized that they were needed and effective, that, that, that they weren't yet in place? Um, those, those are just some examples of maybe um, where we weren't exactly prepared, but we got there as quickly as we could. The pandemic instantaneously changed our lives. We all made sacrifices, and some took on challenges in the worst of it. Those in the black community were disproportionately affected due to a multitude of health and socioeconomic factors. And the South Carolina African American Heritage Commission captured dozens of their stories as part of their Black Carolinians Speak, Portraits of a Pandemic. Alicia McFarlane is one of them, a nurse who came down with COVID-19 upon returning to South Carolina in March 2020 after working in California. When she recovered, Alicia headed to New York, where the initial surge still raged. Her family was shocked. Like, what? You just got better. What are you thinking? I was just like, I was like, I can relate to them. I know what they're going through. I know how they feel. I know how it is to feel scared having the virus and just not knowing it. Am I going to make it or not? Like, it doesn't it doesn't discriminate. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we've had somebody, like, if you're 16, if you're 30, if you're 40, 80, it doesn't matter. Like, you're still fighting for your life regardless because you don't know, you, most people end up with the what they call a ground glass appearance on their lungs and it causes a very bad pneumonia that's very complex and hard to treat. And then it just starts affecting and deteriorating their entire body. So I just, I was compassionate. Like, I was just like, I want them to know that just their family and friends aren't there, but somebody that can relate to them is there to care for them. So... I just wanted to help, really. Like so many aspects of life, education changed overnight. Parents that could work from home became part-time teachers. Others dropped out of the workforce to care for families as classes went all online in mid-March and remained that way for the rest of the 2020 school year. Some schools remained that way into the fall, while others chose online in-person hybrid models or normal instruction. State Superintendent of Education Molly Spearman recalls when everything changed. 
you know, I remember one superintendent calling, we had a parent show up with a mask on at school, <laughs> you know, and thinking back to that, it's, it's almost hilarious to see where we've come from. But also, we also knew there was not a single case in a school. But yet the public outcry was, why haven't you already closed schools? That Sunday that uh, the governor uh, announced the closing of schools, uh, we actually had two conference calls that day with, with superintendents to really tell them what was happening. We weren't sure if the closure was going to be for Monday or that Friday. So immediately, uh, they found out about four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon that school was going to be closed, but yet they needed to feed all the children in their district. So it was a tr- miraculous uh, effort. Uh, they showed up, they did what they needed to do, and we fed over the summer over 21 million meals to students' buses, and not only fed them, but delivered the meals mm-hmm. <laughs> to the students. So it was quite uh, an operation. Uh, General Patton, I'm told, would have been very proud. The education community showed that they could turn on a dime. The other piece of it was the virtual learning, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that because that certainly put a focus on how ill-prepared some areas were versus some who children had the devices in their hands. Jeffrey Bellino, a senior at Wando High School and friend of the pod, gave his account of those early days in the pandemic and how things are going now. Uh, I guess just early on, it was a it was a train wreck because obviously none of the teachers were prepared to teach entirely online. Um, a lot of them didn't even have like online presence type deal. Uh, I think one of my classes had a like Google Classroom page, but I don't think any anybody else did. So it was kind of a scramble at the beginning to one, make up for lost time and two, even like get the infrastructure in place to, to do any of that online classes. I personally, I definitely struggle. Um, I always like, I'm able to get myself back on track and it helped. I do think it helps being in person. The biggest part of that is just the routine. You know, before when we had no in person, it was like, all right, I'd wake up at noon and I'd log on and get done. You know, I would sit there for an hour and be like, do I really want to do this? Maybe I'll do it later. But at least being here, you know, having to be here at, at nine o'clock in the morning it helps a lot. You know, before I would, everything was through email with one teacher. I'd have Google Classroom with another. There was some third party website with a different teacher. Now it's all on the canvas, like some deal that our school district has with Canvas. Uh, everything's on there. Um, we take all our tests on like uh, this Google Classroom browser type thing. Um, all, obviously, all of our online lectures are through Zoom or recorded. So it's definitely a lot more uh, structured than it was at the end of last year. Here again is State Superintendent of Education, Molly Spearman. Hundreds of families are now online with because of optic fiber that has been put in the ground over the last few months. So devices have been purchased. Teachers have been trained. You know, just a whole new virtual system that was not there for much of the state is now there and in place. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is I think it, it forced us at the Department of Education to really put in uh, priority standards. We have heard from teachers for a long time that our standards are so broad, they're so much that you have to teach. This made us, it forced us over the summer to bring together groups of teachers with some experts, and we now have priority standards, which our teachers are raving about. We have been asking for years to buy a learning management system. It's very expensive, and we never could get the funding to do it. That's a way that connects every teacher in South Carolina to good 
quality standards. We can communicate with them. We were able to purchase that now with federal funding, a repository for all great lessons. So we have come so far uh, with the resources that we're able to give our teachers in South Carolina that will be ongoing forever. So there's a lot of lemonade. Uh, and I think just the strength of character, while we're all very tired, I know our character has been strengthened and that we have have and are making it through a very difficult time. And we will be we are a better system because of it. And um, that makes me really proud. The pandemic also delayed life from simple moments to big days alike. The mental health of many began to deteriorate as social interactions were curbed. Alcohol sales jumped as did concerns of increased drug use and signs of physical abuse that were now hidden from view. Healthcare delays also had tragic consequences. As part of the Portraits of a Pandemic project, Marilyn Hemingway said that for her father, who was dealing with cancer last year, those delays and shutdowns meant death. My father died from cancer, but COVID killed him. And the reason I say that is I think the shutdown from the pandemic, he lost his social outlet. He had already, he was 89, so a lot of his friends had already died, but he still had friends who would check on him, visit with him. He lost that. And I could literally see under the pandemic, his world start to shrink. It went from him having senior center, veterans greeting people just on the street to literally being in the house. Especially during quarantine for two weeks, we couldn't see anyone. We just could talk on the phone or by the computer, Zoom became a big thing. And I could see just the emotional and mental toll on him. The sadness at not being able to surround people whom you love when they lose someone, that has been deeply painful. I don't know that people have really begun to process those or have really known how to process those moments and what, what it's going to look like when we're all back together again and we begin to take stock of all the things that we to let go of. Last year, Bishop Andrew Waldo moved services for the 60 churches in the Episcopal Diocese of Upper South Carolina from in-person to virtual. Lively high holy days like Easter became quiet, surreal moments in empty sanctuaries. He holds fast to seeing parishioners in person soon, something that has been difficult during a time when faith plays such an important role for many. I have long said that life, all of life, is a journey of figuring out how to let go of something or other. Um, sometimes it's, it's uh, letting go of a hope. Sometimes it's just letting go of a an opportunity to do something we want to do but couldn't do, but sometimes it's really those profound letting goes that have to do with letting go of people whom we care about or relationships we care about. And of course, death is the ultimate letting go, not just someone else's who's close to us is death, but our own. And I think we've all had to face our mortality in ways that maybe have helped us to see the world a little bit differently with perhaps a little more gratitude for the things that we that we have before us that, that matter so much. When asked what kept her grounded throughout the past year, Dr. Linda Bell needed a moment to compose herself as the weight of it all seemed to hit her. She herself was surprised by how emotional she got, but it's hard not to when you hear her story. 
So many things kept me grounded. The, the, the very first was my family. My immediate family, um, my husband, my children, were so understanding of what I was confronted with that it just work hours, what I was required to do, the support from my immediate family was tremendous. My, uh, my mother, um, who is now deceased, that, that immediate support was um, what kept me grounded. But in addition to that, that's my immediate family, my public health family. I mean, I've worked at DHEC for, for 27 years, and people in my public health family showed up in a way that I don't think many people appreciated, that they also invested everything that they had, that people, um, we're a year into this now. I know so many people who worked almost 365 days, including, and I, I mean, every weekday, every weekend day to, um, to create the data that was expected, to do the outbreak response that was expected, to do the investigations, to just be there to respond to the needs in the community. And so, so many people gave so much. And uh, we were working virtually, though, for much of this time. But we remained connected virtually through our calls and that support for one another um, in that workspace when we were really um, confronted with just many, many demands from an incident command structure and many expectations. And so that kept me grounded too, that people were, um, were just not giving up, that they, um, you know, many people weren't even required to do much of what they were doing. They just did it. They just saw what needed to be done outside of their normal duties. They just showed up and said, you know, how can I help? So across DHEC, but then more broadly, um, witnessing what was going on in the, the population, I, I have to say that I actually got a great deal of community support, people lifting me up, uh, you, know, you know, people just reaching out, saying that I'm praying for you. Um, that kept me grounded. So, um, so just being a part of, of that community, people who were grateful, people who were struggling, people who were doing their best to, to help, that I, I never felt that, um, that it was too hard to do when I witnessed what other people were going through. And um, recognizing those sacrifices, that kept me grounded. That's something we can all relate to after a year unlike any other. And we all know that it has been different communities and networks throughout this pandemic that has gotten us all through it. And you, dear leaders, have helped us get through this as well. And we thank you for that. So now, if you haven't already, do your part like I have and get any of the safe and effective vaccines the moment they become available to you so we can all finally end this pandemic together. Welcome to our wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. We hope you enjoyed this episode, so do share your memories with us from this past year. We have some voicemails, but we want to hear from all of y'all. So holler at us at 803-563-7169. Leave us a message with your name, where you're calling from, and just a little bit of uh, what your year was like. Uh, AT, it's my understanding that we have someone that has called and given us a little, little look back. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even uh, organize this with him, but he called in because he's such a great listener. Great, mm. uh, he's just great at interacting with us because he's he's a he's a pal at this point. So uh, let's roll the tape. Okay. Hey guys, it is your friendly 
neighborhood, Trader Joe. And today I was just leaving work and was just thinking about how this whole pandemic thing has played out over the last year. And instead of complaining about the people who are rude or um, even praising those who are still saying thank you all the time, I would like to just have a little memory session here. It was about this time last year. I knew it was close to um, St. Patrick's Day when us at the store, I think everybody remembers when everybody had a run on hand sanitizer and toilet paper, the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. Um, but as far as grocery stores go, and it wasn't just us, uh, it was everywhere. It was a point where our own stock warehouses were not able to pretty much anything whenever the people started freaking out for lockdowns. Um, there was a point where us as uh, stores could not even put in orders for things that we needed. Our uh, warehouses, and again, this wasn't just Trader Joe's, this was a lot of places, were just being told, you're getting a truck in the morning, and this is what we have. We've split it up over all the deliveries. This is what we have. Uh, and we're having trouble getting the rest in, so every day is just going to be the time being. And, um, you know, things were things were insane, and that was, I think, the moment if I remember correctly, where I realized, oh, everything is changing, and it's going to be a real weird time. And it has been a real weird time, and I'm uh, thankful to you guys for giving us the information you give us, and thankful to uh, all the people who have just been kind and understanding over the last year, who have just kind of played along and done the best. That's all we've tried to do. We've tried to just be the best at what we can be. And uh, I just wanted to share that as I was driving home. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, Have a great weekend. Well, thank you, Trader Joe, with that memory of supply chain disruptions. I mean, you were right there on the front lines, and uh, the rest of us were were frantic as well. I remember during those times when I was looking through the old photos and the scripts from the past year, and... You know, you couldn't get meat for a while at certain places. You couldn't find eggs. You know, Clorox wipes were being rationed at Costco if there were any left to ration. You know, like the toilet paper shortage was was just crazy to me because it was just if everyone just continued their toilet paper usage like normal, nothing would have happened. Completely frantic. It's It's just going to be the weird. It's going to be crazy. Just to to tell kids that, like in the future, we're going to be telling them about that, and they'll be like, "What the hell are you guys talking about?" Like, (laughs) everyone was terrified that they weren't going to have toilet paper, and I feel bad for the people who might have like actually, you know, they ran out at that point and then just coincided with like a pandemic. (laughs) But like, you know, I go to Costco, so I'm buying everything in bulk, so I I was fine. I would have, I don't know, survived. I I remember (laughs) Caitlin and I bought a big. Toilet paper thing from Costco, like the mm-hmm. week before the pandemic really hit. Oh, well, yeah. And so, and it lasted until like we were down to our last thing of toilet paper right when Costco got toilet paper again. Yeah. So we got lucky and it timed out perfectly. Just wild times looking back, you know, and looking, speaking of looking back, Evan, you look back and found out. I looked too far exact, back. <laughs> oh, no. You saw the origin. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, but, we have uh, Trader origin story. Um, yeah. I love this. The first time Friendly Neighborhood Grocer called us was in the April 18th episode. Yeah, hell and, yeah. Uh, I love it. He said uh, he didn't want us to thank him for his frontline service at the time. Never have, and we never, did will. It. Never, never will. Have, never will. Never will. <laughs> um, he called us while he, he was he was gardening. 
Yes, he was so outside that, working. Yeah. I remember that, enjoying a fine day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so that was wonderful. Um, yeah, you know, looking back at the script, some fun things we talked about in the wind down. You know, Tiger King last last April. Was Tiger King was ten us. years ago. Yeah, it feels like it's forever ago. <laughs> you know, and then Tiger King. I know. And then they Carol Basket. <laughs> we had an update because the sheriff in that county down in Florida in Florida was reopening the case to, to get new Against leads. Carol so I wonder Baskets. how that's yeah. been going. And, yeah. and, and uh Joe Exotic was trying to get uh pardoned by Trump when yeah. Trump was leaving too. So yeah. that it popped back up then. But man, it, that just feels yeah. so long ago. And uh Grand Strand Man, our own Roman, he called us for the first time in a March twenty fifth episode. You know, if you mm. if you guys are following along, these are some big these are some some moments there in our. In I our miss Roman. Story. I hope he's doing well in yeah. lands abroad. Yes, I got my hair cut in in May. My dad cut my hair. That was an <laughs> huge exciting huge day. Huge day. I got a masterclass account which I never used. <laughs> 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 Me and my friend Joanna got. And it's like because you're just getting bombarded. You know, everyone's stuck at home. You're sick of Netflix. I was like, fine, this is it. I'm pulling the trigger. That was early <laughs> enough in it where you thought you were gonna better yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of stagnating your own filth at home, yeah. <laughs> I watched like maybe two episodes of like two different people, Anna Wintour, and uh, I can't remember who else I watched. Maybe RuPaul, mm. actually. I watched RuPaul's because I was interested by that. Um, some good messages. And there's, I still have time left. I can still watch something, but it's not going to happen. Uh, early on, you know, I wasn't going to the gym, so I had um, been using a 20-pound bag of rice. That was mm. exciting. Important. And then I started eating more rice, which led to some unnecessary weight gain. Which you're I think up, I'm all. down. Yeah, you're up, I'm down. A huge pandemic yo-yo. A lot of people, I'm sure. Um, we found out in in May uh, 16th that Towner McGill watched The Princess Bride for the first time. <laughs> and the movie had been over 33 years and Towner's somewhere up there. It's a great movie. Yeah. Great film. I might have said here, when, when I first started dating Caitlin, she said that Princess Bride is one of her favorite movies. And uh -huh. I was like, yeah, I love that movie. It's really funny. She goes, what? I was like, what do you mean? It's funny. She goes, no, it isn't. I go, Caitlin, it's a comedy. Yeah. And she had no clue. She, it was one of her favorite movies. Watched it a thousand times. She never realized it was a comedy as yeah. a child. There are, I was there like, are, Billy Crystal. Yeah, there are humorous <laughs> moments in there. We did a year's worth of episodes in four months. And that, that was, was in hurtful. July. That was painful. Yeah, that hurt a lot. That was in July because we were doing three a mm -hmm. weeks. And uh, we... We stopped doing three a week in like September, I believe. Do you have any other recollections with uh, with the year? Me? Yeah. Oh, me? God, I don't know. I feel like this was a lost year almost, where it was it was so fast and but also nothing happened and but quickly and slowly yeah. and it was. I was talking to you earlier, saying that I feel like everyone in this country in the world when they say last year they are they're gonna mean 2019 till mm -hmm. the end of this year you know so uh it's gonna be tough i hope this year's better I, <clears throat> I just got vaxxed so um hopefully that helps me out going forward and i hope more people get it i just yeah. i want to go out i want to be able to i want to be able to hang out with people and not be cognizant that i'm breathing their breath mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah like we stopped thinking about that because you you do think about that and i think uh, i never Beardsley, considered it before she kind of said it right you know and I, I feel bad because i just saw that france went back on for a month lockdown so they're back in it you know when she was when she mentioned how like you know that second lockdown and everyone's like there were no more happy hours there were no mm -hmm. more like clapping it's like that was like the worst part and that was something that we can all relate to because early on it's like oh, this is different. Everything's worried. Like we're worried. We don't know what to expect. We don't know what to do. So we did adapt and we did like try and 
make the most of it because we were all in it together at that point. I felt like for the you know the the, the beginning part, we were all in it no together. one knew how long it was gonna. So be. there was that concern there too. And then once we started learning more, and then the you know, stark start- realization that this is gonna be a long process is. Is soul crushing. And honestly, to hear from Dr. Bell talk about how there were people at DHEC that worked for 365 days. I mean, like... I believe it. You know, like, and that's the things you think of, like, oh, man, but it's like, yes, every day, every weekend, like, holidays, all that stuff, those people were, like, grinding through it. And I know we've all, we've all experienced different things during this. Like, some of us have been more fortunate than others, of course, but, like, that is just brutal. And they're not the only ones that have been doing that stuff. So to everyone out there who didn't get to work from home, that didn't get to, you know make the most of it. It just had to grind through, make it, make it through. That was, we applaud you, but share your moments. Let us know. We want to hear from y'all. Uh, 803-563-7169. And thanks again for being a friend of the pod. Stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and South Carolina public radio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. Also consider becoming an ETV member. Membership starts at just $40. And if you pledge at the $75 level, you get access to PBS passport and all the great programming your donation helps support. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Oh, okay. it's too late now.